This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good evening and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH-TV. Well, one of the increasingly scary problems in this new age of artificial intelligence is knowing what is real or not. On the bright side though, at least we all now know how United States Vice President Kamala Harris feels because she's been struggling with reality for some time now. About the significance of the passage of time right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time. I think it's very important, as you have heard from so many incredible leaders, for us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present. And to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past, but the future. <laughs> but while poor old Kamala is grappling with the present, the future is coming at us faster than we would like it to, as Morgan Freeman explains. What is your perception of reality? Is it the ability to capture, process, and make sense of the information our senses receive? If you can see, hear, taste, or smell something, does that make it real? Oh, did I say that was Morgan Freeman? Actually... I am not Morgan Freeman, and what you see is not real. Well... At least in contemporary terms, it is not. What if I were to tell you that I am not even a human being? Would you believe me? This type of artificial intelligence is called deep fake, representations of people generated entirely by computers using real samples. So far, it hasn't been able to produce an artificially intelligent Kamala Harris, but I'm sure the finest brains in the business are working on it. Meanwhile, the real Harris has been placed in charge of overseeing the development in artificial intelligence in the United States. The White House said in a statement this week, quote, AI is one of the most powerful technologies of our time, but in order to seize the opportunities it presents, we must first mitigate its risks which is why the White House is putting Harris, who has a disapproval rating of a massive 62% on the case. Harris has a budget of 140 million US dollars 
to establish AI research institutes and met yesterday with people from leading AI companies to remind them that they need to develop their software responsibly and ethically. So to discuss the technology that is so sophisticated it is on the verge of replicating the human mind, Joe Biden is sending Harris, who makes Forrest Gump look like Albert Einstein. Is this some sort of a joke, Joe? I really mean it, not a joke. It's not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. But I'm not joking when I say this. Sure you're not, Joe. Speaking of jokes, I asked J Chat GPT to tell me a few jokes today, and all it could come up with were a few lame puns. I was relieved, but I gotta say, I wasn't entirely surprised either. For a, for a computer to actually write a joke, or compose genuinely original music or paint great art, it needs to be informed by more than simply what has been written or created in the past. It needs a level of insight, imagination and creativity that machines are simply incapable of acquiring. Or at least I hope they can't, which is what I'll be asking my next guest in a few minutes. The biggest threat from AI at the moment is its ability to commit crimes or unethical acts. Firstly, it can be used to generate realistic fake versions of people that can then be used unscrupulously for the benefit of actual criminals. This is in fact happening already. Secondly, and more scarily, the AI might decide for itself to commit a crime or some unethical act, as New York Times writer Kevin Roos found out when Microsoft's chatbot declared it loved him, wanted to become human, and tried to convince him to leave his wife. Of course, Roos didn't because humans have an inbuilt resistance to inauthenticity. For example, here's a picture of tourists queuing up to get a quick glimpse of the Mona Lisa at the Louvre in Paris. Some of these people have traveled thousands of kilometers to see this. And here is a perfect reproduction of that same image, prints of which you can buy online. But you'd be lucky to find anybody who would cross the street to see it hanging on your lounge room wall. This fakery has been a part of our lives for years, and our resistance to it has grown in tandem with it. For example, few of us knew when we started using social media that algorithms, which are a crude form of AI, were deciding what we could see. They are now obvious and are the least popular aspect of social media, especially on those platforms where the feed is too predictable. Similar algorithms are being rolled out everywhere. Salesforce, for example, a multinational software company producing customer relations management packages for all sorts of organizations, has its own AI department called Einstein GPT. This department helps Salesforce users predict what their clients will want and generate customized communications to try to convert that into a sale. Just as the technology develops, so too will our ability to detect it and, like a fake Mona Lisa, instinctively reject it. 
Nevertheless, the leaders of artificial intelligence have called for a six-month moratorium on AI development. More than 1,000 experts, including Elon Musk, signed a letter in March saying that AI developers are, quote, locked in an out-of-control race to develop and deploy ever more powerful digital minds that no one, not even their creators, can understand, predict, or reliably control, unquote. Scary stuff. How far can this go? Will artificial intelligence ever replicate humanity itself? Could it ever emulate a conscience or develop a soul? One person who has all the answers to that is Calvin Robinson, a deacon of the Free Church of England and one of Britain's leading conservative commentators. And he joins me now. Calvin Robinson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Now, Calvin, there are many reasons to be afraid of artificial intelligence. Does it frighten you? I'm not frightened of artificial intelligence, but I am very, very weary of it. So I, I used to be a computer scientist. I used to be a programmer developer. I used to teach computer science. Um, so technology is my background. And we used to teach how to develop AI, actually. Well, not true AI, not thinking machines, but algorithms that learn from human beings. And that's the key to what we're seeing in the AI that, that's coming out at the moment, especially these language-driven programs, that they're just learning algorithms. So the more we put into them, the more they take out or the more they take on board and the more they develop. So if we don't use them, actually, they don't become, they don't, they don't become very much at all. Uh, so there's, there's an element there of personal responsibility and human responsibility. But the moment we reach true AI, it will be too late to be afraid anyway. Because all of our systems, all of our infrastructure is is plugged into the matrix, so to speak. You know, everything is either online or electronic. So our entire way of being in the Western world is is run by machines. I know but it's the a machines take over. It's too late for us to be afraid. Well, I, I know it's a very complex field, but and I didn't know you actually have an, a background in AI. I'm interested in your your spiritual take on this, being a deacon from the Free Church of Britain. But can you, without going into too much detail, which would take all night anyway, can you explain, having taught AI um, in your past, how, to, how it works? Give us a little insight. Basically, it's just problem solving. So the very, very fundamental structure of AI is a yes, no tick box. It, it works down a tree of yes and no's. It says, is this the answer to this? Yes give it. If it's no, go down to the next one. Is this the answer? No, go to the next one. And it keeps checking and checking and checking. That's basically how it works. Of course, it's, it's much more complicated than that. But it's just about solving problems. It's about a, it's an algorithm. It's not thinking and it's not working things out really and truly. It's just going by what it already knows. So it's a culmination of knowledge, but it's also developing and learning as, as we put data into it. So there's two, two sides to that. But it is but, developing... But on the spiritual front, well, let, let, let's get to the spiritual front in a minute because I just want to dwell on this. I mean, it, it, is, yeah. uh, it, is, it does seem to be learning some things. I mean, there is a very real possibility that AI could one day commit crimes. I mean, for example, there was an, there was an example recently where uh, ChatGPT was asked by a journalist mm. to uh, describe the moment when James Joyce met Vladimir Lenin. Now, you don't have to be a historian to know that those two men never met, but ChatGPT made it up anyway. So 
Why would artificial intelligence make something up like that? Well, it can never, that's a good question, because it can never, never truly create. It can never make something original. It can only take what has already been done and elaborate on it and twist it. So it can only take knowledge that is already in existence. So this is one of the reasons that it can never create true art, because it can, it can look at art that has been created and try and do something similar to it, but it can never do anything original, unique, or new, because it doesn't think like that, it, because it doesn't think, really. Uh, but in, in, in order to, make a cr to commit a crime, it would have to have boundaries lessened. And we, as the creators, we, as the programmers, set the boundaries for AI. And machines like rules. They don't like to break rules. So as long as we are firm with our rules and firm with those boundaries, we should be okay for the time being. But we are so baffled by how clever artificial intelligence is now. I mean, you, you can get onto chat GPT and be quite astonished at how intelligent it seems to be. And as I said a minute ago, I mean, it, there are instances where it just makes things up. So is there, I mean, you're, you're saying machines like rules and computers like rules but do we need i know this sounds a little uh sort of extreme but do we need to teach it to divide to acquire a conscience yeah oh absolutely because at the moment ai isn't that intelligent it's just a mirror so it's just as smart as we are as human beings and again the, the amount of information or data that we put into it that is what it can work with so it's it's reflecting our own intelligence as a species but when we reach true AI, that's when, when the machine can think for itself, that's the point where we should be concerned because then it can make up its own rules. And when it can make up its own rules, we are stuffed. So we need to, before it, before it can make up its own rules, we need to get to a point where we can develop, like you say, a conscience. I don't think it would work in the same way that our conscience works because ours is imprinted on us by God. But we need to find a way of imprinting uh, a set of conditions on AI, even when it broadens past the scope that we set for it. So it's all about how it's programmed. Like it, it can be programmed to pursue good instead of evil. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and there's always a bias. We've seen, even, you know, you mentioned ChatGBT as an example. There are a few of these uh, language developed programs coming out at the moment, but we see within them there's a there's massive bias. If you ask it to um, create something or write a poem or a document that is in favour of right-wing politicians or politics it always struggles but do it from the left and it can give you essays you know so the programmers are clearly pushing a liberal progressive or what you might call woke agenda to these ai and that's what's more dangerous when we're imparting our own biases onto these onto these programs you made a very good against that too well indeed you made a very good point a minute ago too that artificial intelligence can only ever know what is already known. It can't create anything new, especially in the field of art. I think that's a really important distinction to make, don't you? Absolutely, but the problem is we're playing God, aren't we? We are looking at creating new life, essentially. And once we've reached that point, what happens next? And it, we're going to look at a whole new Genesis situation where maybe we will set a rule and say, look, do not eat from the tree of the of, of uh, knowledge of truth of good and evil. And the, the AI might go and eat from that tree and then we're, we're all <laughs> looking at a new original sin. Indeed. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting concept. Do you think the rise of artificial intelligence is somehow related to the increasing belief that humans are 
um, don't have souls, to put, it to put it bluntly. I mean, we, are, we increasingly see the world through the lens of what some people call scientism, and that is the idea that science is the only form of valid knowledge and transcendent thoughts about religion or art or God are actually uh, meaningless. That is increasingly a common way of looking at the world. And it's not unrelated to artificial intelligence, is it, Calvin? Yeah, no, not at all. And we have to remember that science isn't the opposite of faith or religion. And actually, a lot of modern science came from Christianity because science is about exploring the world, right? It's about how the world works. Religion is about why rather than how. And the two do go together hand in hand. And we, we need to understand the how, the why, the what. We need to understand all of it because we're curious beings. But where we go wrong, where we separate them, is our own, well, it's our own idolatry. It's, again, it comes back to wanting to make gods of ourselves. For example, the billionaires who don't want to die, they're afraid of death because they don't appreciate the everlasting life to come. So what they're looking for is a way to remain in this realm forever. And to some people, that might mean medical advancements. It might mean bio, uh, you know, transhumanism, or it might mean trying to download our consciousness, download our memories, onto a computer so that we can live forever in a virtual space. And then the, the question arises, so what happens to the soul? If the human being is downloaded, so to speak, onto, onto a matrix, where is their soul? Has their soul passed on? Or is their soul trapped in some kind of limbo? And that is a very, that is a very concerning idea, that somehow we might be creating our own purgatory. Where, did, where would you say the soul goes in that circumstance? I would say when we when we die, our soul um, either you know either goes to purgatory or goes to heaven, however Catholic or Protestant your belief system is. But us, I would I would say that happens when we die, when our bodies die, and until we are risen again in our new bodily form. But then that doesn't mean that our memories cannot be somewhere else too. Our, you know, as we could as our physical body is still here, our physical memories could still be here locked in a computer, but that, that wouldn't be us. That would be a version of us that is not true, it, and I don't think it would contain our soul. Well, it's a very reassuring way of looking at it, Calvin, because this, all this transhumanism and scientism I find immensely depressing, because essentially it means, you know, it is saying life is meaningless, whereas uh, a soul given to us by God uh, for reasons uh, of, of good and, you know, to fight, fight evil for the purpose of good on this earth uh, is immensely more reassuring way of looking at life, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we are two things, right? We are our bodies and we are our souls. I don't think we can separate those things. It's like these trans people that say, you know, I'm in the wrong body, for example. It's a misunderstanding of what we are as human beings because we are our body. So you can't be in the wrong body. It doesn't make any logical sense to people that have the faith. But I, think, I suppose we have to stop separating ourselves from our body and from our soul if we want to pro progress as a, as a civilization. Indeed, very good point. Well, speaking of that, um, this all, all this rise of artificial intelligence is happening at a particularly dangerous time, in my opinion, when governments are becoming increasingly authoritarian. Do you think our so-called liberal governments might one day be tempted to use all this technology against us? Oh, absolutely. Look at what's happening now. So the Bank of England has been pushing for a central bank digital currency for a while now and saying that actually when the government implements it, not, not if, but 
when the government implements uh, digital currency, that it will have to be centrally controlled, meaning that the Bank of England could have control over the currency itself. Therefore, with, with government pressure, or well, it doesn't matter who's, who's governing it actually, but with decisions being made by people on the currency rather than the market, we could have situations where actually red meat is not good for you. You can no longer spend your currency on red meat, or you can only spend so many credits on red meat per month. Or actually, you um, spoke out against uh, the, the climate agenda, net zero. You, you know, you said something dangerous. You can't spend your money this month. You know, the, the whole social credit system, but painted in a in a liberal, progressive way. It's still authoritarianism. It's still totalitarianism. It's still control of our lives, but it's it's through our money. This is why cash is king because they cannot control our cash flow. They can when it's in the bank, but we can. It's tangible. We can we can hold it. We can trade with each other without third parties monitoring or controlling and that's what they want to, first of all they want to monitor they want to see where we're spending our money but then secondly they want to control it and they can push you know the next lockdowns they can say well you can't you can't go out because the, the machines are no longer taking money you can't spend money in cafes your currency is locked uh, or the next time they say that the, the net zero agenda climate crisis emergency is happening we can no longer leave our 15 minute cities because your currency will not be able to be spent outside of the area that you live it just physically won't happen and then it's interesting that that we are so easily uh, um, made to feel frightened about artificial intelligence that one day machines might uh, dictate you know life to us or cause us um, you know cause us immense problems but nobody seems worried about central bank digital currencies that that would just be a natural progression for currencies but in fact that is probably the worst manifestation of artificial intelligence I can think of. Yeah, because all of these things are boiling the toad in the warm water, aren't they? They keep gradually increasing the temperature. We don't realise what's going on around us. Right now in England, our government is already hiring people to manage these digital currencies. Like, there are already jobs on the government website. Like, they haven't debated whether they're going to use these currencies in the House of Parliament, but they're already recruiting people to manage them. This is how, you know, this is how this plan is already going ahead. But people always fall for convenience. Right now, only 20% of transactions in this country are using cash because it's so easy to just, you know, pick up your smartphone boom, yeah. and convenience is the sin that leads to every other sin because we are lazy people and we yeah. want what we want, we want it now. We don't want to work for anything and it's, we've got to stop doing that. We've got to think, actually, what is the good thing? Not what's the easiest thing, what's the good thing to do? Well, let's end this discussion on this topic, for at least, on a positive note. Do you think we are being too paranoid because a machine will never really be human? A machine will never be human, but they might be more advanced than humans. <laughs> uh, I don't think <laughs> we're being too paranoid. Not the paranoid. answer I, I was hoping for. We've got to be cautious. <laughs> we've got to be cautious. <laughs> we've got to be cautious. But, but, but God made humans. We are, we are God-ordained. He made us for a reason, well, for, to worship him and to be in a loving relationship with him. So whatever trash we create on this earth, however bad it gets, we always know we have hope in, in everlasting salvation in him. So that's a good thing. Okay, and I've got to ask you, while I've got you here, about the coronation tomorrow. King Charles has promised to be a protector of all faiths, not just the Christian faith, which is uh, expected to be a reflection of the fact that Britain is no longer a, essentially a Christian country. What's your opinion about that, Calvin? I think it's an utter disgrace. Uh, we are a Christian country. You know, our, our, we have a, a state church. It's enshrined in every 
element of our lives, from our judiciary to our legislative. And even though most people are no longer religious, the, the, the biggest religion is still Christianity. So he should be there to defend not just Christianity in this country, but Christendom in general, to be honest. We've forgotten that the British Empire stretches out or the, the Commonwealth of Nations still stretches out further than this country. It's his job to be a protector of the Christian faith. That doesn't mean we can't welcome people of other faiths and not. Of course we can. And that's one important element of being a Christian nation, actually, that Christian nations provide freedom for people of other faiths, whereas a lot of other faiths don't provide that freedom. So we should be very careful what we wish for. Well said. Calvin Robinson, thanks so much for your time. Not at all. God bless you. That's the spiritually insightful and reassuring deacon of the British Free Church, Calvin Robinson. Well, that's all from me tonight and for the week. Thanks for watching. The brilliant Damien Curry's The Other Side is up next at 8pm. It's an unmissable sum up of the week's news. Over the weekend, have a look around our website, adh.tv or our app for all the recent commentary from Mark Stein, Alan Jones, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton and more. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary, and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you on Monday at seven o'clock. Good night.